Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film Seven Samurai from 1954 with my wonderful guest, Liam White. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am your host, Sarah Greenfield, and this week on the show, I have my wonderful friend, Liam White. Hi, Liam. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? (laughs) You know, pretty good. So this week on the show, we watched the epic film Seven Samurai from 1954. Liam, how was this viewing for you? What did you think? It's great. I first saw this film when I was like 12 or 13 I think I've maybe seen it once since then, but it, it impressed me back then and it did the same this time. So I have never seen this film. Um, I am actually like sorely lacking in my Kurosawa. In fact, every time I've seen him, it has been with you, Liam. <laughs> That's every my all of my Kurosawa experiences. So this is my third one. But it's a fantastic, one could say magnificent film. Like truly the blueprint of the like epic adventure film, I think. Okay, but we're gonna get into that. So first I wanna talk about why I chose this film. Um, Part of it was when I was starting to make this podcast, I didn't wanna just talk about films that I had seen, but films that I like aspirationally always wanted to see. And um, this is one of the films when we had talked early on, you had said, look, if you ever do Kurosawa, I would love to do this film with you. Um, So that was one of the reasons I chose it because we are severely lacking in like an international film representation for sure on this Mm -hmm. show. But also you have like a vast knowledge of this kind of film because you really it's like it really important to you. You've read the biographies, you like know what's up. So that's another reason I wanted to have you on the show for this episode specifically. And then also we are in the seventh month of the year while we're recording this. It's July. So I was like, ooh, seven samurai in July. Ooh, seven. So that's also why we're doing this now. Very, very dorky, but true. Okay, so those are the reasons I chose this film. Now we're going to give you a plot synopsis. Viewers at home, I will tell you this is like a three and a half hour epic, which I did not realize when I selected it, (laughs) but I'm glad that I did. Um, So this film is like several episodes blended together beautifully. And I want to apologize in advance. I am not a native Japanese speaker. We're going to be pronouncing a lot of Japanese names probably incorrectly. And I just want to apologize up front for that. Uh, but anyway, here I go. Okay, so this film is about, at first we meet a group of farmers. Uh, the year is 1586. Uh, and we're meeting a bunch of farmers who have been completely devastated by a group of local bandits. The bandits have ruined everything, right? They've 
taken everything they could from the farmers, including like kidnapping women um, from the farmer's land as well. It's like pretty horrific what they're doing. And um, the farmers cannot like sustain themselves because all of their food is being taken from them. So they're starving. Uh, so they don't really have any money, but the elder in the village is like, look, let's hire samurai to protect the village and let's look for a hungry samurai because all we can really offer them is food. So that's what they do. A farmer, Rikichi, I think I know that's, I'm so sorry. It hurts when I say it. I'm sorry. Rikichi? Rikichi? I don't know. I'm so sorry. Okay, so this farmer who's kind of really upset, he's lost everything. He mentions a wife and we're like, oh no, what happened to her? Did she die? Like, what's going on? Oh no. Um, we find out later. Anyway, so he's behind this. He really wants to get these samurai to come in and help the farmers. So um, one day, I forget if he sees this incident. He sees the samurai, the first samurai incident, right? Or do we see that as viewers? I can't remember. I think it's a different one. I think it might be one of the, the sadder face guys. It's either the guy with the daughter or Mr. Sad Face, whatever. His name is Yohei. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I remembered it because I was like, oh, you are so, you are Yohei. You are. He is yeah. all of the expressions. He is, you know, very expressive facial features. I wrote serving you face, Yohei. Very like classic clown character played beautifully. Yes. Um, so uh, we meet our very first samurai, Kambe, who is like very wise, he's older, and all of the samurai that they're finding are ronin type samurai, which means that they don't have like a master. They are freelance samurai essentially. Um, so we know right away that this is a very, um, honorable person because he has no vanity, right? Uh, he, they, they see Kambe rescuing a young boy from someone who has kidnapped him and he does it by pretending to be a monk. He shaves his head, which like back in the day, that's a pretty big deal. You had the top of your head shaved, which is super attractive on everyone. Um, but not your whole head shaved. So we learn, you know, he's, he's a different kind of samurai, right? He's special. Um, and he's very wise. He's getting older, but he knows what's going on. So he is the first samurai to decide to work with the farmers. And he basically does it like out of the goodness of his heart. He's kind of like, I see the cause you're fighting for. I believe in it. All right, let's assemble a team. Let's go. Um, and this is also one of the first movies to like have that assemble and gather, right? Isn't that the trope? I don't know if the specific name, but yeah, anyone yeah. anyone who's seen these action films knows exactly what this looks like. <laughs> yep, and it started here. This is like the first one. Um, so, although I think Robin Hood is a little bit, a little, but not to this degree, not I cinematically. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, ah, oh, they got to get like Little John, and they got to get yeah. Will Scarlet. But no, this I'm gonna give this one credit. So he's like assembling. He he gets with his old his old buddy Shichiroji. That's his like fellow comrade in arms. Like they have fought together before. He gets his buddy on board, um, and they start to recruit people. There's an excellent swordsman that they recruit named Kyuso, and um, Gurobe. I think Gurobe was helping with recruitment too, if I'm not mistaken. But I could be wrong. Mm. Um, and then they find this like fun jokester samurai who's not so great at being a samurai, but is really fun named Haihachi. And then there's a young samurai who saw what Kambe did with the young boy and just like totally adores him and wants to learn from him and is coming on as like his protege slash samurai intern named Katsushiro. He's the young samurai. 
I will honestly probably just switch to calling them by like their adjectives. And this was young samurai. Um, and then there's like a totally off the wall samurai that they don't even recruit. They don't even want him, but he follows them. He's a total wild card and that's Kikuchio. And he stressed me out throughout the film. I was <laughs> never sure what he was going to do. And I was so stressed out by him. Um, so like, yeah, we've got this ragtag team, they assemble, they head to the farmer's village, but because of a totally jerk douche farmer named Monzo, all the villagers are afraid of them because Monzo is like, oh, I've got a really pretty daughter and they're probably going to like, you know, really harm her because she's hot. So I'm going to forcibly make her dress like a man. I'm going to chop all her hair off, run her through the town and, uh, freak everybody out because I'm a jerk and he is a jerk throughout the film. He doesn't change. He's consistently a jerk who thinks of himself, which is like the opposite of what you're supposed to do in this film. Anyway, so the whole town's scared of them when they get there. Kikuchio, by ringing a false alarm, reminds the village like, yeah, you need us. So stop being jerks to us. Thank you very much. Um, they like assess the town's needs and how they're going to solve these problems. And it's really cool. And they start to like bond with the townspeople especially like the scenes with the kids. There's like the kids and the samurai bonding. It's very sweet. Um, and then eventually the bandits do come. Oh, I also should mention there's like a little love story. Manso's daughter, who he cut off all her hair, her name is Shino, and she's dressed like a boy, but her and the young samurai, Katsushiro, fall in love, obviously. But it's a doomed love because she is a farmer's daughter and he is a samurai and they cannot be together because of their class system. Oh. The great irony is they probably they never would have met if he hadn't have shaved her hair and she hadn't been running around looking like a boy. This is accurate. So him <laughs> being a jerk. But that's and that's to Kambe's point later on when he's like, when you act selfishly, that's when you lose. And look at Manzo that you're absolutely correct, Liam. So yes, because she is dressed like a boy, that is her ultimate doom to fall in love with him because that's kind of how they meet. So where was I? I forget where I was in the story. Oh, the bandits come. The bandits come. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're, they're, the way the samurai have it set up, they're very, very smart. Oh, wait, before the bandits come, though, they, they send, like, recruiters. They send, like, guys mm -hmm. to check out what's going on. And uh, they end up catching them, getting information from them, and killing them. But they find out where the um, bandits are staying. So they're like, oh, we can get rid of some of them off the bat by like setting a fire to their lodging. And that would be super tactical and great. And so that's what they do. But when they get there, Rikichi goes with them and he realizes he sees his wife who had to be, she was like forced to become their concubine, which is just awful. Um, so the bandits like both spoiler alert, but also like trigger warning have been like raping her for months basically. And she has been living a fate you know, maybe worse than death because she chooses to die. It's, it's been like a year, over a year at least. It's like, yeah, yeah. So a year they, of being like a forced sex slave, essentially. Yeah. That's pretty awful. That's pretty terrible. Um, so when she sees her husband again, she just feels so ashamed and she kills herself and it's devastating. And as Rikichi is running in after her, because like there's the burning building, people are trying to leave. The samurai are killing the other bandits that they need to kill. They're letting the women go, don't worry. Um, but <laughs> she runs back in the house and commits suicide and Rikichi is devastated and he wants to follow her. But the Haihachi, who's like the fun, the fun warrior, he tries to stop him and gets shot, he gets killed. 
And so Rikichi just feels terrible that he caused this other person's death because of his own actions. And they all go back to, you know, their base camp. They have, they plan like how they're going to move forward in these battles. And they're pretty successful in a lot of their attempts to thwart the bandits. They come up with some really creative ideas, little Home Alone-esque. I mean, way before Home Alone, (laughs) but you get some Kevin McAllister vibes. They stop them. And then there's kind of like, it all comes to a head and there's one big battle and it's like, this is the big one. This is the epic one. There's rain. Um, oh, wait, I messed it up because before the battle, Shino and the young warrior do have sex and they get caught by her dad. And her dad is such an asshole. First of all, not a big deal. Like, if you want to have sex, you go and have sex. That's totally fine. <laughs> you were both consenting. It's fine. But her dad sees it, makes a big stink about it, starts beating her and yelling to the whole town about his daughter, the slut, and how she's damaged goods. And I'm like, you are the worst, Monzo. And it's heartbreaking because there, the warriors, like, the, the, there's one samurai. I think it's um, it's uh, Shichi, Shichiroji. Is it him or... Gurube. Gurube already passed, I, I think. Can't, I can't remember. It's whichever one doesn't have facial hair. One of them does and one of them yeah, doesn't. And they're, they're kind of looks. Yeah, they're, they're both like lovely plump men who are great warriors. But like the it was visually the most defining was one had facial hair and one didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, they were they were they're both like, we're kind of older. We're both friends with Kambe. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, um, but yeah, he was basically like, look, this happens a lot before a battle. Like, people think that they might die the next day, and these, you know, they were in love, and it's okay. And the dad was like, no, I'll never forgive her. And then everybody walks away, and she's crying in the rain, and her boyfriend doesn't even comfort her. He just stands there. They all just stand there, and you're like, ugh. And I also should mention a lot of people died that day because Kikuchio fucked up big time, guys. Kikuchio messed it up. So he's jealous because everybody's all into Kyuzo because Kyuzo is like a really unselfish, really awesome warrior. And whenever they need something, he like selflessly will figure it out and do it and like not brag about it. He's like, yeah, I'm just good. I can't help it. I'm just good at all this stuff. But he doesn't say that. You know, he's not a guest on about it. So they need, they realize the other side has three muskets. So they're trying to get those muskets out of there so nobody gets hurt. So one night they say this and Kyuzo's like, okay, I'll go get one. He just like, goes and gets a musket and comes back and you're like wow that guy's so cool <laughs> and the young samurai's like oh he, I'm, he's my hero he's so amazing and kikuchio's like oh, i'm amazing too and everyone should be talking about how amazing i am Ah, oh. so he like goes off and does his own mission where he like kills one of the bandits steals their uniform which is a thong we see a lot of tush in this film we do such good tush shots it's a lot of tush. and it's like the camera is always like right behind the tush yes Going up a lot, too. It's like, hey, look at this lower shot from a tush. Anyway, um, so Kikuchio goes to the other camp, the bandits camp. He does get a musket, but because he left his post, a lot of the bandits came in and they killed one of the samurai. And that is his fault because he was not at his post. Because the whole thing about the film, like early on, Kambe's got this quote. Well, he's got two quotes. One is, there's nothing heroic about selfishly grabbing for glory. So, like, we're not selfishly grabbing for glory or acting like that. It's not about us. It's about the greater purpose. (laughs) And then he's also like, look, uh, this is the nature of war. Uh, By protecting others, you save yourself. If you only think of yourself, you'll only destroy yourself. That's his line. And you're like, ooh, that's really smart, Kambe. So Kikuchio is only thinking about himself and his own glory. 
And it hurt everybody as a result. It hurt a lot of people as a result. Because actually a bunch of people died, but the one samurai did die, Gurobe. So that's another side note. We get to the big final battle. It's epic. It's raining. They let all the, the bad guys pass their defenses so they can have a full-on fight. The one thing that they didn't think about was arming the women, which is really upsetting to me. If the samurai had considered that women are also people, then the women could have fought back when the bad guy entered their barracks instead of being held hostage. They get all the bandits except for the leader, and he's in the women's barracks with a gun, and he shoots the best samurai. And that was so, so sad. I was, I wrote, no, because Kyuzo was my favorite. <laughs> it was really sad. Um, but then he also shoots Kikuchio and Kikuchio is like, no, you do not get to kill us. And he like, still being shot, like walks into the barracks and fights him and kills him. And then all the bandits are dead. And um, we lost four samurai in this great battle and several farmers as well. Um, I think, didn't we lose Yohei too? We lost Yohei too, didn't we? Didn't Yohei die? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the sad think, face yeah. farmer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he is killed. I think yeah. He's killed, which is a total bummer because he was like, mm -hmm. I did all I could. I fought back because they were always worried he wasn't going to fight back because he was scared because he's like an yeah. old man a little bit, you know. Um, but he did fight back. He did all he could. And it's sad. Um, so, yeah, we did lose some people. But at the end of the day, the bandits are gone. The farmers start a new day. They're planting seed and they're like planting seed to this beautiful song. They like sing a song while they farm. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is joyful. This is beautiful. But it's a bittersweet ending because as the samurai are leaving, they're like, this isn't really our victory. Like this is the peasants victory. And like, here we are moving on again, isolated, alone, lonely, no community. And we move on, you know, it's like, that's that's the movie. That's Seven Samurai, pretty much. And there's no resolution with Shino. <laughs> Just <laughs> the the young samurai and Shino look at each other, and he's standing there staring at her, and and that's that's it. It's like they broke up with their eyes, I guess. Yeah, I guess the resolution. I I took it as she decides that they are from different worlds, and while. Who knows, maybe it's because he was so shitty and didn't protect her the night before. He sure did not. But yeah, he really didn't. But like it does seem like she makes the decision where he kind of wants he kind of assumes that the relationship will continue, but she seems to say, No, you go on and live your samurai life and I will stay, you know, a villager, a farmer. Can I tell you I came up with another ending for her that was satisfying sure. to me? <laughs> so you know how Rikichi lost his wife? And yeah. how he was like happy and singing in the end. Like you can tell he's going to live anew now. I had the like, same thought. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was like, him and Shino could end up together because he stood up for her. He was like, no, we should be on the side of the lovers. Like love is taken from you. It can be taken from you and we should be supporting them. And I was like, yes, yeah. I see this. You're both romantic. I want this for you two to find each other. While he had like his vigor back, he seemed to be uh, in good spirits for one of the first times in the entire movie. Yeah. Well, because he had reason to be completely devastated, you yes. know? Yeah. Um, anyway, so let's get into what this film has done that is so special because this is an incredible film. It is visually stunning. The action mm. sequences are incredible. The, the setting, the time and place is gorgeous and accurate. It's like just so cool. It's such a cool piece of film. Let's break down what this film did for cinema. Like, let's just, let's talk about it. 
Um, we mentioned earlier the tropes, the the plot tropes that we see in this film for the first time. Yeah, so there was the gathering, the like team assembly, which, you know, which now I think you see mostly in heist films. It's like most noticeable in heist films, like, but it also can be in these actions. We need a team, you know, and 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 the finding of the team, the testing of people. It's like a huge, what do you think? It's like a fourth or a fifth of this movie is the the assembling of a team, you know, montage. Well, it's the assembling of a team and then watching the team like figure out how to work together. Like mm -hmm. these misfits will never work together. <laughs> oh no. And originally I had read that um, he wanted to make it six samurai, but that it was too boring with six sober samurai. So they put that wild card in there to make it more difficult for everybody. And not only that, they made the wild card originally like the son of a farmer so that he would kind of like understand where the farmers are coming from and their stockpiling and why they might dislike samurai, how samurai might have hurt them in the past. So he blends all of that in the form of Kikuchio, a.k.a. wild card. That's what I was calling yeah. him through the whole film. I was like, you're a wild card. Ooh, we don't know what you're going to do next. Um, but yeah, so you're right. Uh, the team like forming itself and like figuring itself out is a big part of it. I also think um, another thing I had read was the hero proving himself first. Like uh, we know the leader's good because we see him win his own battle in a certain way before he's even assembled the team. The great introduction. Yeah. The, well, well, you've heard Save the Cat. I have heard of it, but I've never read it. I didn't read Save the Cat. Screenwriting term where it's like at the top of the, like at the top of the movie or when you're introducing your character, what do you do to show that they're a hero? They save a cat. And they're like, you see this in a lot of movies where it's like the intro scene where they save someone or do something heroic. And now you're like, all right, this is our hero. And that's what we see with, with Kambe where it's just like, all right, Let's just establish right off the way, right off the top, that he's a badass. And the the other the other like big uh, element that I thought was so interesting, I was kind of looking into after in terms of like, oh, this feels like it's a precursor, is the use of slow motion within action sequences, where it's you know full speed, and then they have these climactic moments where then they suddenly cut to slow motion as you know someone falls to the ground after being cut with a sword which is you know now every single action film you've ever seen but i really i was looking into it and of course there were other films that used slow motion but in terms of like its use in an action film this does seem to be one of the first to really explore how slow motion can make these battles so much more cinematic and interesting. He shot this film with multiple cameras. Yeah. So that was how he could create di these like different looks. So it would be every single shot would have um, like one camera in a pretty orthodox position to catch everything. Um, another camera that he was using for quick shots and then another like gorilla style camera. So he's getting all of this footage for every action scene they're doing so he can like pick and choose what he wants to put in. And I thought that was amazing. To me, this feels so fresh. This film feels one, like you're actually in the time period, I think. I mean, yeah, sometimes you can tell that there are bad wigs, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but this does feel like it is of this time period. And it's, you're watching it thinking like, I'm watching so many firsts here. I'm watching yeah. so many like original moments that have been copied forever after. The big thing that people recognize in great action or great epic films 
is the juggling of a lot of storylines. Like those are favorite epic films, our favorite big Hollywood blockbuster epic action films. When you think about it, they're defined by this huge group of characters who have to come together to do something, but they all have their own individual stories going on. And this film does that beautifully. There's so many stories going on, crisscrossing character relationships, and it's just beautifully paced and constantly moving in between these characters and their different stories. Do you want to hear a little nerd nerd backstory yes. about this Bring film? Bring us some nerd uh, backstory. This is, a, you know, a big movie for me. I, you know, I saw it at a young age. It was one of my first kind of solo forays into foreign film, you know, international cinema, where I think my mom got it and I just sat down by myself and watched Seven Samurai. And I was like, this is awesome. And so I didn't want to like, an expert in Japanese cinema. I took one course in college, and I, but it, but I wanted to read up more for this conversation because this film is important to me, and I wanted to be able to talk about it in a knowledgeable way. And so, like, I read both Akira Kurosawa's and the screenwriter Shinobu Hashimoto's uh, autobiographies, which were fascinating. They're not like especially well-written autobiographies, but they are fascinating to read. And uh, heads up, Sh uh, Shinobu Hashimoto wrote a bunch of screenplays with Akira Kurosawa, including Rashomon. That was maybe his first produced screenplay, actually. So that's what's crazy is they're really linked. Rashomon is what launched Akira Kurosawa into the international scene. And Shinobu Hashimoto was there for that and was like kind of the impetus for that film and for this film. So this is what's crazy is they did two films together before this. They did Rashomon and then Ikiru, which I really want to see. Ikiru, which it means to live. And it's a much more kind of modern film. But this was their third film together, but, but also the third attempt at their third film together. The first attempt was A Day in the Life of a Samurai who has to commit seppuku because of uh, a clerical error by someone else in the in the like in kind of the kingdom's infrastructure like basically there's a error about how many of like i think it's uh wood that they're going to deliver and it's a huge error and so but to like show that they're sorry for this clerical error he has to kill himself and so it's like this terrible thing happens and they wrote the whole screenplay. They were investigating how they were gonna do it, but basically they couldn't figure out the information. The history wasn't clear enough and the screenwriter felt like he couldn't tell the story because he wasn't sure what was correct in terms of the, the samurai's life. So he felt like he couldn't accurately say this is a super realistic depiction of a samurai's life because he didn't know he talked to they talked to all these historians all these all these different people and they couldn't figure it out so they abandoned that screenplay all right that's screenplay number one which honestly sounds dope and then he ended up writing uh later on that screenplay that sc same screenwriter wrote a great film called in japan seppuku uh or in the u.s is known as harry carey and is freaking fantastic 
it's amazing. It's not a Kurosawa film, but it is another film. It's a film centered around seppuku. Please watch it. It's incredible. Also, you kind of said this, but I want to make it really clear for listeners at home. So seppuku is like the, when you're a samurai. Ritual suicide. It's, they, yes, exactly. For so there honor. you go. It's, yeah, it's your own honor killing. It's, I am committing suicide to, to, to you know, for the honor of my master or my family. And it was like, seemed to be actually like not infrequent from reading their autobiographies like it was a part of what could happen you know so it wasn't it wasn't that unusual it sounds like um so after you watch this movie go watch seppuku or harry carey it's incredible uh by the same screenwriter but so so that's the story behind how he tried they tried to write that film together then akira kurosawa uh came to him and said oh, can you write this film where we go through all the great swordsmen of Japanese history? And they like took a, all the traditional stories of all the greatest samurai and put it into like a small anthology of different samurai. And they wrote this whole screenplay and then came out and were like, eh, it doesn't really work as a whole film because it basically read like a mini series where it's like climax and down and then another story in climax and they just felt like it wasn't it didn't work as a feature film like granted nowadays they would just make it as a mini series and it would have been dope but they couldn't do that back then um but what's great about knowing that backstory is knowing that those stories were woven into the seven samurai script so Kambe's story of being a monk to go into the house to save the boy from the thief, that's a real story. That was a story of one of the samurai they were talking about. And also Kiyozu, who the, the great, very silent, stoic, like expert swordsman, that is also based on another famous, famous samurai. And, the, and there's one other who's based on one of these famous samurai. And so that, that was super interesting to read about how their process, how this whole process not only made this other great film, like the reason he wrote Seppuku or Harry Carey down the line was because he had done all this investigation for this a samurai's uh, day in the life of a samurai movie, but then also how the samurai anthology then created a bunch of these characters for Seven Samurai. It wasn't Heihachi, was it? Because I was like, oh, what if they do have the stories of like the funny one? No, I can't remember. Also, you were saying Kyozo and I was saying Kyozo and I'm like, oh, I'm just so mortified. I'm just, I just no, really want to apologize. we're apologize. destroying these names, yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I, if I could like read Japanese, I would know how to pronounce it, but we get these like American transliterations online and we're like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So. It's already bad enough we're saying Akira Kurosawa instead of Kurosawa Akira, yeah. Well, and also, okay, so when I was a little kid, I went to a Montessori school and in Montessori school, you we learned Japanese, but we only learned it a little bit conversationally and I haven't done it since I was eight, you know? But it was like, I remember, so, like here we're like sayonara and it's like sayonara like it's oh. like right or um arigato no it's arigato gozaimasu <laughs> so like there's i remember those things so i very much know how bad i'm doing this yeah but yeah. it's like but i know like a couple colors and i can say monkey so really <laughs> you know <laughs> um, 
All we can yeah, do is I, apologize. All we can do is apologize. <laughs> I'm just so sorry. I, if I don't even know how to say that, all I can say is, Arigato gozaimasu. So like, thank you for understanding <laughs> how bad this is. And we're sorry. Um, okay. Although I remembered Shino's name because I was like, I will not forget her name. <laughs> yeah. Remember the <laughs> ladies. <laughs> remember her. She's, they, we don't get a lot of them and it's pretty bleak. No. So, so is there anything else about this film that if you're at home might not know what they're seeing was like original for this or like, I mean, well, you had mentioned too. I also want to bring this in that nowadays this would be like what you were talking about would be a mini series, that second um, yeah. writing where they were talking about the samurai. But to me, I could so see this. This as a would be a mini series. 100%. Right? I was thinking yeah, like, the same thing. The yeah. farmers learning what's going to happen and rising up and deciding to go get the samurai. Yeah. And then like them finding Kambe and him doing his yeah. like, great heroic feat and him recruit like each there would be seven episodes obviously because it's seven yeah. samurai um <laughs> there's also i think this has the structure too that we did when i want to add about like you have your battle that has a loss and then you have the ultimate battle that's mm -hmm. a win whether it had been done before what's amazing is how you watch this film and how modern it seems like in both the storytelling and the visual techniques in a lot of ways like so that's what's so exciting when you watch, you know, you watch a lot, a lot of old films, plenty of them, and you're like, this feels like an old movie. You watch this film, Akira Kurosawa's films are like, do have very big, you know, acting styles a lot of the time, but it still feels, and especially with certain actors, it still feels incredibly grounded and feels like something you could watch today. It does not seem that different from a movie you would see made now. Well, do you also think it's because they're telling a story from the past, right? They're telling a story set in 1586. The music they are using feel, it's like music from the time. Everything feels like it's from the time. And they're on a real, like they're not in a studio. They're not on a soundstage. They have the set built in the wilderness, like built out in the world. So you have all these natural elements to it. Plus he's getting performances. It's not even, you mentioned earlier, they can be a little bit big, but there are these beautiful moments mm -hmm. with um, like actors, like close up moments where they are on fire and you can see it like their hearts are on fire and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. Yeah. Like, I think one of my favorite moments in the whole film happens with a character who does not even have a name. It is Rikichi's wife. Mm -hmm. um, and it's when we see her for the first time, we see um, our samurai are setting the bandit barn on fire and she's awake. And she's the only person that sees that the barn is being set on fire. And we watch her in her eyes make the decision of, do I wake everyone up and do something? And she chooses to die. We watch her choose to die in her eyeballs. It's an incredible moment. It's moments mm. like that that also help it feel so modern, I think. It's like very well done. Incredibly well done. And I mean, the actors, I say that it's a little over the top, but I will say to me, always the exception is in all his films. Toshiro Mifune, one of the great Japanese actors of all time, and especially linked with Akira Kurosawa. And he is incredible. He is bombastic. He is huge. He plays... And you can see him in different types of movies play similar characters with Shanjiro and Yojimbo, like where he plays another very, not quite as kooky, but also very kind of like humorous samurai who's still pretty badass. So he's incredible and he's big. He's Kikuchio in this. That's who you're talking about, right? Yes, Kikuchio. Yeah. And Toshiro Mifune, he's great. He's incredibly famous and, and they work together all the time. And honestly, what's crazy is like, my favorite Kurosawa actor is Takashi Shimura, who plays Kambe. 
and that like i think he is the most subtle beautiful like delicate actor one of the most like one of the most grounded actors like he feels like almost like mark rylance but in the fucking 40s and 50s like that's crazy you don't see people with that subtlety in any international cinema back then and here there he is like just so fucking grounded the entire time he is incredible and both Toshiro Mifune and Takashi Shimura worked with Kurosawa an incredible amount of time I think Takashi Shimura was in 20 Kurosawa films and Toshiro Mifune was in like 16 many of them as the lead so like they're littered throughout Kurosawa's films they're and they're all over it and they're so good all the time Okay, I have two things. One, I want to point out that that's so interesting because they are opposites, right? Like, uh, yes. Kikuchio, I don't know the actor's name, even though you just said it. He is so, like, almost feral. He is alive. You do not know what he is going to do. If you learn one to Japanese actor's name, Toshiro Mifune, he's, in, he's the best. Well, there's him, and then the actor that plays Kambe is the opposite. It's mm -hmm. just like they're opposite sides of the spectrum and hold this beautiful balance. And I can see everything you're saying with both performances. And I do want to ask you about the guy playing Kyoso. Mm. I thought he did a great job as well. Very subtle. Because he's, yeah. he's subtle and he's a small man. You, when you see mm -hmm. him, you're not thinking, this is a big, great warrior. And yet he, you believe he is the best of yeah. them. Yeah. And I just think he's so, yeah, subtle is a great word. But there's another, it's like he's got this confidence about him that he portrays beautifully. And I was wondering if like, if he's versatile in any way or if that, is that just him, you know? Yeah, he's been in other Kurosawa films. Oh, he was even in one of his very first films, Sanshiro Sugata. Oh, wow, his first film was Sanshiro Sugata part two. So his very first film was a Kurosawa film. So he, he uh, it does look like they work together a bunch. But to me, in my mind, there's one other actor who actually I saw pops up as uh, apparently he's one of the wandering samurai. He just wanders across the screen, but he goes on to be incredibly uh, prolific in a bunch of later Kurosawa films as a lead actor, as a lead villain. But to me, uh, those are like Toshiro Mifune, Takashi Shimura, and this other actor, those to me are like, the quintessential Kurosawa actors. So like, yeah, why don't you tell me about Kurosawa? Because I I do not know much about Kurosawa. I'm so sorry. I know I. you can be a cinephile and not know everything, people at home. Okay, sure. we all have different interests and different things we know about. And this is just a like, you know, a blind spot for me. So please, Liam, would you like to tell us about Kurosawa? <laughs> I have so many fun things to tell. One book I was reading about Japanese cinema, and I told you this earlier, Sarah, was like, Cinema is an international art form, and yet each cinema movement or national cinema is, is very much influenced by the place it is. So it is both influenced by cinema uh, across the world and influenced by where it came from. And I think Akira Kurosawa is the definition of that. They talk about it even where like, so Rashomon launched him onto the international scene and he became an international darling. And in some ways, his later filmography is defined by him being this internationally famous director, while even at times 
his appeal in Japan started to waver a bit, even though he was still like a national icon. His, some of his films, he became very much like an auteur in that he became less concerned with like, you know, cinema that would land specifically with Japanese audiences, delight them, and instead kind of became really focused on his own exploration of life and art and meaning. He captures Japan and shares that with an international audience. So anyone yeah. can feel universal about this film. You can watch this film and understand it and feel a part of it and, you know, empathize with all the characters, yeah. right? But it's de depicting a specific Japan. It's really giving us like these cultural moments from Japanese history. Like he and the screenwriter were obsessed with being Japanese about like what was these characters about authenticity, about samurai life, about the about the history of Japan. And at the same time, this film is a such a conversation, not only with our current like epic action films, but also with, you know, he was a huge fan of John Ford and Renoir uh, like before. And so like not only this like and the samurai film and the western film are such an interesting conversation where like he you know he had seen john ford's western films and in some way and had incorporated some of that into his work and then this goes out and influences all western films that come out after this you know so it's just i love how Japanese it is and how much a part of international cinema it is at the exact same time. It does have Western vibes in certain ways. John Ford shots of the sky, you know, you can see that influence, but it's still original. It's still its own. And what's what's really interesting about Japan and Japanese cinema and Kurosawa is that, you know, the turn of the century brought on rapid modernization in Japanese society. In cinema, Japan was the first of like the Asian countries to really build uh, their own cinema, like long before China, before Korea, before Hong Kong, like any of that, Japan was out there doing it. And not only that, but Akira, Akira Kurosawa was born into a samurai family, like a, a modern version of it, but he was like the descendant of samurai. And he grew up, his father was in the military and he grew up, the first school he went to was like a very Western school. But then the next school he went to was like traditional Japanese where they wore traditional Japanese clothing and he had the wood, like the wood sandals. And then he studied traditional Japanese sword fighting. But then, oh my God, it's so fascinating. And then he becomes a painter and then his brother. So Japanese cinema, one thing they say is that it was never silent because they had this tradition where in silent films, they would have these orators who would go on and kind of describe the scenes and interact with the films. And Akira Kurosawa's brother was one of those orators. And as sound became part of cinema, though, the orators actually, they went on strike and they tried to do this big collective action movement, which eventually failed. And Akira Kurosawa's brother actually ended up committing suicide. And this was oh, no. before, yeah, and this was while Kurosawa was still a painter and like a semi-communist. 
and before he ever like went on to explore film. So it's like, it's also fascinating because like without his brother, he likely never would have turned to cinema. Well, and I'd read that cinema wasn't like necessarily a passion of his. It was something he kind of fell into. Yeah, well, he was a painter. Painting was his love. Like that was it completely. And then it seemed like he started to feel a little aimless. He started to join into the communist movement, but he almost got arrested and he kind of used that as an excuse to leave the movement. Like basically he got sick. Well, he got almost got arrested and then he got sick. And the way that these kind of the, uh, these people within the movement were contacting each other was that you had to show up at the meeting at the meeting you then set the next meeting and that was the only way you could like find the people and he used it he got sick and he couldn't go to a meeting that he was supposed to go to and then he just used that as an excuse and i think he saw he was a little kind of aimless and then i believe he just saw like an advert for tosho which is the studio he eventually joined. And he went and he interviewed to be an assistant director and got the job. But of course, like when you think about it, he had already studied like, you know, because he was a painter, he had studied traditional Japanese art. He had studied Western art. He was a fan of music. He already had all these skills, which then became incredibly instrumental in him becoming the director he did become. That's beautiful. Oh, I like that. I do want to ask like, he he's there for World War Two. Like, what's going down in World War Two? Do we know what's going on with him in World War Two? What what he happened was, there? He kept making films. He wasn't in the army, uh, okay. although his father was in the army. He was making films. He actually made a propaganda film during which I started. I haven't oh, finished. No. Like like a Nazi propaganda film? Like oh no 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 a Japanese a Japanese like army propaganda film. Uh, but it's called in English. It's called the most beautiful, and it's about the girls at a factory like pushing themselves to to uh, make lenses, optical lenses for the troops. And so it's about them sacrificing and working themselves, these young women who are living all together in a dorm about them sacrificing to help the war effort. But so he was fighting with, they were fighting with Germany. They were, I mean. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. He was, he was making movies during World War II. That ends, his first film was made in 1943. So like that was when it came out. So he was he was filmmaking throughout the the war. Yeah. You know what else is funny though is this this speaks to a little bit about again with Kurosawa the constant like Eastern and Western influences his kind of participation in Japanese society and the Western society is that he actually in his autobiography like calls out the Japanese censors and how much he hated them, and he's not like pro-American. He doesn't make it seem like that in his book, but he does go out of his way to be like, man, once the American, like Americans came into town, I had a way better time with their censors than I did with the Japanese censors (laughs) because his films kept getting yelled at because they would keep being like, oh, these youth have too many feelings. They're too individual. This is showing British Americanism. And so he kept like, you know, 
fighting. They kept saying, no, your film is too British American. It's too much about individual wants and desires. And, you know, it needs to be about the collective good and honor, you know? So, so that was, he had a very funny relationship with uh, the Japanese censors. Whereas like our censors were like, no sex. Can't show any people of color doing any nope. jobs. Oh, no. Important jobs. Yeah, yeah. 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 Our censors were really stupid too, but it's interesting that that's what he wanted when this film is basically about like, don't be selfish, work as a team. It's called teamwork and it makes the dream work. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> so that, I don't know, I was sold on it. I was like, yeah, you each have your job and you gotta do your job and work together to solve this problem. But I think the Japanese censors before were like, even the love stories like that would have crossed the line. Like, even though you're right, he, his message was very much about these great individuals and, you know, kind of honoring their individual stories, but about collectivism coming together for the greater good. It's still the, the Japanese censors during the war and before were not, they weren't fucking around. It was like, they were pretty strict. Also, let's talk about the sex scene too, because it is, I thought it was a little bit like, risque because again we're used to these like american films from the 50s like just for reference for people at home 1954 was a big year in american cinema like this is the year of rear window on the waterfront carmen jones a star is born the one with judy garland seven brides for seven brothers creature from the black lagoon sabrina brigadoon all of those films came out in 1954 that's a lot and that's a lot in like all these different it's genres a crazy right? year for cinema holy right? shit and this is 1954. So yes, you get all of this inventive film, right? So that's like where we are in time. So like thinking of all those films, there's not really any that depict sex. Like Carmen Jones does talk about sex, but even then we don't see the level of what we see in this film, which is literally they, there's a scene where she's like opening her legs at one point when she's mm. talking to him. And you're like, oh my God, like this wouldn't happen in American cinema. Oh my God. Cause she's like telling him like, I want you to have sex with me kind of. And he, she's trying to tell him without those words, she's trying to insinuate. And then mm. later on, they're literally like rolling in the hay together. <laughs> like her <laughs> arms are around him, their legs are intertangled and they're rolling around in the hay making out. That was not happening in American cinema. Like uh, from here to eternity hadn't come out yet. Like, you know. Wow, I didn't realize that. So I was just thinking about that because I was like, they wouldn't show that in American cinema, yeah. I don't think, right, at that moment. And I think it probably got through because this film was so, it's international and people they were didn't looking have at to it for deal all with the these other reasons. Yeah, yeah like yeah. they could have shown it in America and it's like, oh, this great Japanese work of cinema that's three and a half hours, that one second of them rolling in a hay is not going to stop. A censor, right? I think. Yeah, I wonder if they cut it when they showed it in the US. <gasps> Oh, maybe they, they just showed them like starting to go to the hay and it was implied. Oh, yeah, it wouldn't does... surprise me. Yeah, 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 it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> well, anyway, that was, but that was what I was, oh, and Godzilla came out this year too. Literally like a huge feat in every genre you can think of was released in 1954. Holy crap, that's amazing. Yeah. Like that goes up against some of the best years of cinema of all time. Oh yeah, it's like 1939. 1954, 1967, they're like all these years and it's like, how, that's insane that all these movies came out that year. Yeah, yeah, 1999 is probably the greatest one of like our lifetime maybe or what, what else that competes with that? 
Pedro Almodovar's All About My Mother, The Matrix, The Iron Giant, South Park. You're putting The Iron Giant in there too? The Iron Giant is amazing. American Beauty, The Green Mile, Toy Story 2, The Sixth Sense, Fight Club, Magnolia, and even though I Star Wars Episode 1, like that is a crazy <laughs> year of cinema. I'm sorry, that's like a crazier of a lot of white male cinema. Like none of those speak super hard to me, if I'm being real honest. No, no, but but think about the importance of some of those. Like even Star Wars Episode One has definitively one of the greatest fight scenes of all time with with, um, the fates, some duel of the fates, duel of the fates. I don't remember. It's incredible. All About My Mother is an incredible, not white man film. Pedro Almodovar. That yes. was the one I was most excited about that you named. I was like, oh, I haven't seen it, but I would I would watch that. I would watch that. <clears throat> totally. But that is a crazy year. But you're right. I guess in terms of our lifetime, I don't think that compares yeah. to 1954, but in our lifetime, that's pretty insane. I'll grade you. 1999, <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, 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 after we should do some investigation. And, yeah. And each of us can decide which in our lifetime, like, 1987 like, on newsies came out in 1992 therefore <laughs> newsies in the league End of their of own <laughs> yeah, yeah. we win that's it malcolm x came out in 1992 i've already decided whoa 1992 had three good movies that i love yeah. more than the movies you said in 1999 i'm not even saying about movies we love but about True, you're just saying filmmaking feats yes yeah yeah like matrix is yes incredible Sixth Sense was crazy. Game changer, like, it was. Yeah. Fight Club, as crazy yeah. and ridiculous as it is, that was insane. And also Magnolia. Like those like M. Night Shyamalan, freaking David Fincher and Paul Thomas Anderson all released like some of their biggest films of all time in that year. That's insane. Those are some of like the biggest filmmakers of our modern era. Generation. Okay, so here's some stuff I wrote down that we can chat about if we want. Yeah. So I just wrote, like, in general, Kurosawa, his work, his themes, his style. Well, they talk a lot, and you see this in Westerns, too. There's a whole, there's a great, if any listeners haven't watched all of uh, the the video essay series, Every Frame of Painting, please do that. Every Frame of Painting is, you know, one of the quintessential video essay series of our time. And it's like... You know, it's this weird little art form that's popped up, you know, basically since YouTube, where people make these cool, you know, little series all by themselves. And this guy did an incredible one about Akira Kurosawa, where it's talking a lot about movement and everything going on in the frame. And that talks a lot. And you see it even from his very first film. I was reading about it, and he was saying they went to this incredible location. So his very first film about this judo expert this master and how the final scene is a duel in this epic location these this these like huge rolling almost like mountain fields of grain and 
they were waiting for this wind to show up and they sat there for days with no wind and they just sat there doing nothing and then finally on the last day before he was going to call it the wind appears and they go out and they shoot this and so you see this beautiful epic scene with rolling grain all around these warriors and that is like something that continues throughout his work is in terms of movement is in terms of the rain in this scene in the final film is in terms of the dirt which they are seem to be obviously kicking up throughout the film just the everything going on how multi how multi-layered his compositions are like the other thing that video essay talks about are the great reaction shots he does where he has huge groups react to things going on and probably my favorite example of that in seven samurai is the beautiful beginning where it's all the farmers gather in the center of the village and you have all these scenes where like one farmer will stand up and this entire ring, like dozens of farmers around them will look up and then bow their head back down because they're reacting to something they've said. And it's just so dramatic in a way that it's like, it's like watching dramatic dance or something. Like it's so beautifully choreographed and like feels so expressive in a way that's so visual. And it's so I that's that's what I love that and that like you see so much throughout that first kind of sequence of the farmers talking when he was really focused on quality and he took mm. his time on this film. I think I read that this was the second most or the most expensive film ever shot in Japan at the time. And it's because he insisted on a lot of things like what you had just mentioned. I mean, he insisted on having a real like on location set. And he yep. insisted on the the cameras that we had talked about. And it was just like, it was 148 days of shooting, which is a very, very long <laughs> period of shooting. Like that's how long they still shoot films like of that quality now. They'll shoot a big film in, that's what, is that four or five months? I mean, they'll go longer now. But with CGI and stuff, like this is without that. This is all natural. This is like real people doing these things and these stunts and these insane action sequences, but along with like this beautiful vision of nature. So yes, to what you're saying, he's very quality focused and he does succeed. So it's not like he's blowing all this money. He's getting his money's worth by focusing on the quality. It's like, he's so discerning. He understands it. He gets it. And the final product speaks to that, I think. 100%. Because the shoot took so long, but they didn't anticipate it, um, they ended up shooting the final battle scene in winter. And several of the actors said they have never been that cold in their life because they're wearing, a lot of them are wearing like these and thongs. They're they're wearing, it doesn't even matter how, many, how much clothes they'd be wearing. <laughs> Because if you're wet in the middle of winter, it doesn't yeah. matter. You're you're dying. That's yeah. terrible. And you could that's see the puffs of air cool. in certain scenes, uh, how cold it was. So I don't know. I just think that's so amusing that they had maybe thought, oh, maybe we'll finish this in the summer. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Going long into winter. Here we go. Well, he was a little bit of a tyrant. They talk about that. He is not. He was kind of the classic male auteur director, that kind of behavior was excused, you know, until very recently has that behavior not been allowed for the great filmmakers, you know, where and that's kind of what makes when you think about like uh, even Scorsese and Spielberg, like what makes them kind of special is that they are these great filmmakers and yet you don't hear those stories. Those are not these like 
asshole directors who go and yell at people and make them miserable. Akira Kurosawa was 100% one of those directors. But don't you think it's so interesting that he could direct a piece like this where he has yeah. actors who are being honored for being stoic and are being honored for being team members and not having an ego and he doesn't see the irony in that and he behaves the opposite. Don't you think that's so interesting? 100%. <laughs> Reading his book was amazing because he comes off a little bit as a prick. Like he really does. Like, and it, it seems to know that about himself. He like says at the end, he talks about Rashomon and how he's tried to be truthful in, in his autobiography, but likely he's just expressing his own view and likely he can't see how others see him. And it's true where there is much more depth to him than he was able to express in social situations. Even though he might've been a tyrant, even though he might've been, you know, whether that's societal, there's clearly a lot of depth to this man in terms of how he thinks and feels about people that, you know, maybe maybe he doesn't express it right in social situations but he clearly feels it you know it, it's in his work and he says that at the end of his autobiography is like hopefully my work will speak for him and his work speaks for him in an in a way that feels much more beautiful and truthful and feels like it speaks to our modern day audience a lot more than his actual speech in his writings than in like the his films clearly show that he like what a great artist he was although i don't want to i mean i don't want to um what's the word condone bad behavior like obviously yes yes you can make a really great film and not treat people like shit you can yes <laughs> it was a different time and he is a very wonderful artist and it was a different time i guess here's a buddy here's another funny story so he did that the most beautiful film uh the one about all the young women in the factory you know the propaganda film about you know sacrificing for the group for the for japan during the war and uh, he talks about, he's like, I must have been pretty mean to them because most of the actresses after that stopped being actresses and like oh. went on and got married and left the industry, including his own wife was the lead in that film and became his wife. And they, back then, apparently it wasn't like Hollywood. So apparently most of them, when they got married, stopped being actresses. Oh, yeah. that's a big fat bummer. Oh, yeah, oh. well, you've led us into, well, it's like you've led us into the treatment of women in this film. Yes. I was going to save it for modern lens, but damn, the women are treated bad in this. It's like, yeah. oh, first of all, like they're not considered really ever as people that there's one peasant in the beginning that's like, we got to stop this. We're being treated terribly. Yeah. We, you know, we got forced labor. And for one second, I was like, oh my gosh, that's what's happening in the US. They're going to force us into having labor. And then I was like, oh, you mean like forced physical labor? Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she, like, she says something once, yay. And then we have poor Shino, who's just like doomed from the start because her dad is an asshole. And yeah. then we've got Rikichi's wife. And that's it. Those are the women in this film. They are defined by their relationship to men as as you know kind of basically wives and mates that is very much how they're defined and they're also defined through like sex in general like yes. to, you know yeah. it's just like when he calls his daughter damaged goods i wanted to punch that man through yeah. my television screen you know yeah. and like when he abandons her in that moment and shames her in front of the whole town for what really for what 
you yeah. know, like, come on. I, I just, I was furious. I mean, the, the thing, the thing to be said about that scene is you don't come away feeling like the dad is in the right there. You come away feeling like he is small minded. He is not a heroic character in this movie. No. So that is, if anything, the heroes are there saying, Hey, this is what happens. You know, this is understandable. So, I mean, that is always the hard thing is like, you know, there is still like, there isn't like a female heroine in this, in this film, but it, the film doesn't seem to condone treating women like that fully either. Well, and there were some progressive views in there too, in terms of like, there's a scene where um, the one samurai talks to the other one and he's like, look, share your feelings let out your feelings. That's how it will help you to release that burden if you share it with people. And I was like, yes, men sharing your feelings with each other and expressing yourself. Yes. Talk it out. Good. Yes. And then that's the same samurai that was like, look, this happens. Like, yeah. we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They might both might die. They were in love. They wanted to experience that love together and they made that choice. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, forgive them, let them be like, support the lovers so yeah i don't know there was like i thought both of those thoughts were progressive and then in general just the thought of like uh, to an american audience hearing that it's like not all about your one individual heroic feat but that you have yeah. to work as a team that again big deal <laughs> that i think you know fits very well within at least like you know even as earlier films like the most beautiful where that feels that felt very part of like some of his other Japanese films and the, the messaging as well. So do we want to dip into the themes really quick too? Some of the themes sure. in this film, like the big ones, I wrote down a bunch of them. I was like, okay, big theme, can't do it alone. Don't be selfish, teamwork. Um, honorable people don't have egos. So like, don't be a master to your ego. Yeah. Share your feelings. Don't sex shame. Be part of a community if you can. And then it's like simple folk fighting tyranny. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. It's kind of talking about like what is the the role of government to to like protect people and collectivism and I mean in, in feudal society both in Japan and in Europe it seems like one of the worst times to live ever like in terms of like just peasants or serfs and just like how kind of dependent you were on these lords both in Japan and Europe like around you to protect you but like often they didn't really give a shit. And it's just like, they like clearly talk about that and like how though these these farmers have to come together and how these samurais are the only one who will like look out for, it's not about fame or rewards, it's about doing the right thing and about looking out for people weaker than yourself. And they pay for it with their lives. We lose more samurai than survive in the end. And I think that's a really interesting ending, the bittersweet ending, because they, they win. We win this battle. This is great. We beat the bandits. The good guys won. But then to have Kambe say, like, well, this isn't our victory. This is yeah. their victory. And what do, like, what do they have now? They're going to leave this town. They don't have family. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's this kind of bittersweet moment. And there's a part of you that's like, stay with the farmers. <laughs> Yeah, but there was like such class division. It's like that wasn't an option. Like, I don't think, I don't know. And even their pride, I don't know if, if that was like a thing any samurai did, you know? I, to be fair, I know nothing about 1586 Japan. I do know, here's, here's guys, here's what we know about 1586 Japan from watching this film. The hair is awful. <laughs> awful. Okay. 
right? Except for Toshiro Mifune. Except, well, he had great hair. You're he correct. is so damn handsome to Toshiro Mifune. He is like, you gotta, you gotta see him in some of his other films too. Katsushiro, I thought was pretty cute. I got why Shino fell for him. I was like, okay, young samurai, you are very handsome. I wish that the top of your head was not bald. And why do you, why did they shave the top of their heads like that? Do we know historically? Was it, why was that a thing? I think that might've been like a religious thing. Oh, it was awful looking. I just wanted to help them all and go, please don't. Kambe looked great because he was already all shaven. So he didn't have the weird top of his head bare. Um, but yeah, so that was definitely the style in 1586. Um, we mentioned the costumes. Uh, so you're either wearing a robe or you're wearing a thong. Yeah, that's what's going on. <laughs> Nothing in between. Nothing in between. Oh, here's here's a great photo. I'm gonna send you this link to this photo uh, because it's it's actually both you know my favorites. It's uh, Toshiro Mifune and Takashi Sh uh, Shimura in Stray Dog, and you'll get to see them oh. with a little bit more modern clothing. Well, I saw Toshiro Mifune in uh, The Hidden Fortress with you because the first kurosawa film i ever saw was the hidden fortress it was a double feature the hidden fortress and throne of blood so what liam wants to tell you i already know is that the hidden fortress was what george lucas looked at when he was making star wars a new hope that's what he was looking at it's, he was inspired it's so obvious anyone who has seen star wars the the first film the episode four and then goes and watches the hidden fortress will just realize how much george lucas and i want to say like it gets to the point where it feels like ripping off. Like he definitely adds to it because it's not just like ideas. Like he's obviously the, the Jedi are so influenced by samurai culture, like hugely, but it's not just that. And like ideas, it's literally like plot points. It's about how Darth Vader looks like he's wearing samurai order. It's the film wipes. It's that these two, like the plot, the structure of the Hidden Fortress is just the structure of Star Wars. It 100% borders on plagiarism. Before we move on and out of this yeah. film, do you have anything else you want to say about this film before we move on? Oh, about Seven Samurai? Yeah. It was an international sensation in Japan. It was like, this was a huge movie within Japanese society and is really what cemented from my reading of of both the book, the autobiography of Kurosawa and the screenwriter. This is kind of, not that he wasn't a great film filmmaker already and Rashomon had launched him onto the international scene, uh, but this is kind of what solidified him as maybe the greatest Japanese filmmaker of all time. Like this was such a huge movie and he made other big movies after, like he made other successful movies, but this is kind of the defining, at least within, in terms of its reception within the wider Japanese public, this to me reading about him seems like the defining film of his career in Japan. Well, and it came to America and was a hit here. Like they called it at first, The Magnificent Seven here, which eventually it would inspire the film, The Magnificent Seven in 1960. But it was a hit here too. Like people, it yeah. was huge everywhere. You mentioned it, it was an international hit. I do wanna move on then if we're done with these things. Who's your favorite samurai? I have a favorite samurai, who's yours? Kambe. Uh, I love Toshiro Mifune and, and I think maybe when I first saw the film, he was my favorite, but now I think rewatching it, Takashi Shimura is the heartbeat of this film. Like he is, he is the hero. 
as wonderful and as as much of a scene stealer as Toshiro Mufune is throughout the film, Takashi Shimura is the one not only who in the story grounds it, you know, is the leader and starts it all. He is just what makes this movie tick. And I felt it so strongly that watching it this time around. So yes, and I, I think Puzo yes. is my favorite. He's I just, so good. I loved him. He was just such a badass. Like he was so good at his job, so humble about it, so confident in himself. I was like, I want that. I want to be that. Why? I want that, you know, for me. <laughs> You know, you know, what's weird is it, I'm still too young, but I think, yes, I love Kyozo. But I think what I love so much about Kambe is I think, and I, I was just realizing is I've started to really empathize with like the sad older person point of view. And that is what he is in this movie. He is the wise older warrior talking about the follies of youth and, and the wonder, and you know, he is the wisdom. And those are these days, and it, it was such a sad day when I realized I would watch these young people films and I'd be like, man, I'm really like, I feel like I'm really looking at the parents' point of view here. <laughs> and yeah. that is him in this movie. Well, he was <laughs> like, my other favorite. I did write down both of them. I wrote Kyuzo yeah, and yeah. Kampe. They were my two favorites. They were the best samurai, in my opinion. I think that um, yeah. Kikuchio is too stressed. I, he, I mentioned it several yeah. times. He he's too stressful he's for me. He does yeah. not respect boundaries, and I don't. I can't be friends with people that don't respect boundaries. <laughs> and I just it was like too much for me. I I was very concerned. He is like the quintessential samurai character that like was so important. Like, and I think his kind of caricature, like that, you know, and maybe it's become a caricature. I didn't feel like he was a caricature, but he is like. He is, in my mind, from watching anime and other Japanese cinema, he is actually the ideal. This man who, they say this, his only pursuit is to become better and more skilled. He is not He is not there to make money. He is not there for fame. He is there to become a better samurai. And, it, and he does that like a lot of people could feel stilted while doing that. And that actor 100% nails that very kind of like it's almost a trap of a portrayal of like how do you play someone that you know pure and yet he does it beautifully he's alive he is intense and he mm -hmm. gives us he serves us backstory <laughs> like we yeah. really get it there's the one moment when um the old man wants to die in his mill and he his family yeah. ends up dying with him because they should have just left him alone but it, whatever he was making his choice they especially at least alone. the lady with a kid like just oh. send send the husband in like don't right. take your kid, yeah. <laughs> but the baby survives, no one else survives. And then Kikuchio is like, that was me. I'm looking at my childhood. I was an orphan and like raised by farmers. This is my childhood. And I, I think they really gave him like a full, that's when you start to appreciate him as a character even more. You're just like, oh, you were really thought out. You're well drawn. And the, the circular fact of like how he wants to be like Kyuzo. That's what he, he aspires to have that level of respect. And in the end, it is full circle. They both die, but they both die trying to do what is right. And that's what makes his character so great is he is epic. He is like, he is a samurai in the end. He is a madman in that last fight. His like throwing down all the swords, like he is so epic and he fights like a man possessed. And yet what is like his great insights throughout from the beginning of him him showing up when they first start to recognize his value 
is his value is that he is of the people while they are not. They are samurai. They are from samurai families. And he is the one who actually understands. And he is the one who defends the farmers when the, when the samurai get mad, when they find out that the farmers have taken down fleeing samurai during war because they're and taken their, their armor and stuff for their own gain. He is the one who says, well, what the fuck are they supposed to do? You come here and you take their food, you destroy their homes because of your stupid wars. Like, how can you blame them for this? You don't think about these people. They're just trying to survive. And so it is like his value is in his understanding both sides. I think they show us his value too in connecting him with the kids. He has a couple of great scenes with the children of the town. And that really uh, makes you feel for him that that he grows in your esteem as a viewer. Because before yeah. that, you're like, oh, come on. Dude. <laughs> you're like, you're too unpredictable. You're too much. But yeah, you see him with the kids and you're like, yeah. okay, I see the good sides. I'm starting to see. Yeah the fun in you. I'm starting to see why they would want you around. You're showing your value. One last great Kurosawa fact about this and about this movie in particular is he would often tell his actors to focus on like kind of one pose or physical action and to kind of have that ground them in the character. And both with Toshiro Mifune and Kambe, you saw this and it was, I loved it so much where Toshiro Mifune kept scratching himself. And it was like this wonderful kind of, I'm like half man, half animal, like I'm scratching myself. And then Kambe had that beautiful, once he shaved his head, where he kept rubbing his head as he was thinking. And you would see these kind of wonderful actions just kind of ground the characters visually in this beautiful way. Oh, thank you for pointing that out. That is so accurate, yes. Um, there were fun things I was noticing throughout the film that I want to share. One, there's a lady that falls in the river and they kept it in the film and I love it. Wait, what? There's so there's there's one scene <laughs> with the peasants and they're like cheering or something and a lady falls in the river and it just stays in the film. They just keep going. Oh, so God. I was like, look out for that blooper. That's a lot of fun. Um, they, they played it off. They like pulled her back out and she was like, ha ha ha. But I was like, oh my God, she totally <laughs> fell in. <laughs> so that's fun. And then, um, oh, I wrote the wigs, all the wigs, like Shino's wig yeah. when they make her hair like a boy, ugh, oh, it's bad. But then also the bald wigs, because you could constantly tell they're wearing the bald cap wigs, right? Oof. Well, especially you tell it now when we're watching it in HD, like, you know, you know, like pristine HD, you can see it for real. Um, another fun thing to observe is the running in this film. The running is so on point. It is legit. Oh my goodness. It's almost Tom Cruise-esque. Like they are running. They are running. But it's like beautiful low to the ground running. It's like yep, stealthy yep. running. Check out the running, everyone. We There's love it. There's a lot of running. It's great. There's a lot yeah. of running and it's very good running. Um, oh, I wrote down when they went scatter. Cause I just thought of John Mulaney doing his sketch in his show and he's like scatter <laughs> and all the townspeople scatter. They really did. Someone yells <laughs> scatter and everybody scatters and it's great. Oh, there's a stream in the house. Did you notice that? So they're sleeping in the house, but there's like a little tiny stream corner under there where they are. So it's like they're over a stream. Mm. And when they're outside, there's a stream. 
And then when they're inside, there's a little square in the corner that's a stream. Hopefully that's like fresh, delicious drinking water and not like go to the bathroom over there. I didn't know, but I was impressed by it. I was like, you can have a stream in your house? That's awesome. So yay that. <laughs> These are the fun things I noticed, Liam. This is uh, what I think when I watch a movie. <laughs> Um, they also had, uh, I love watching things like how they might have done things in the past. So when they're sleeping, they sleep on the floor on mats, but they had those little blocks. And that's, yeah. so I know that, you know, the Korean spa and that like the Japanese experience are two very different things. But if you were to go to a Korean spa today, they still do that. You still lay on the floor on a mat and you have that block under your head. And I was like, whoa, it's still around. <laughs> we still sort of have this. That's cool. Um, and then I wrote Yohei facial expressions. They are perfect. We have not discussed Yohei's face enough. Epic. He is amazing. There are so many scenes, like him in, in particular, where I was just laughing out loud. There were so many scenes where I was just like, this whole moment, there's so much delicacy going on, so many great reactions, and he is the best of all of them there. But he also delivers... Um, the heartbreaking front too, like when he kills someone for the first time and his the shock on his face, it is upsetting. Like you feel the upset as a viewer, you know, yeah. you know what's happened or you think you know what's happened. You can't tell if he's been hurt or if he's hurt someone else. And it's it, killing someone for him is you see the horror of that, what he's just done. Um, so I don't know. I thought I thought he was great. And yeah, his facial expressions, they are both comedic and heartbreaking all at once. He's like this this tragic clown. <laughs> He is. And it's like that, I think, feeds into back to like how impressive this screenplay and film is in terms of like the juggling of all the elements. And he plays such a crucial role as the clown within that to have these clown sequences, to have the drama, to have the action, to have the love, to have the heartbreak, to have to have the death and the tragedy like and he is there as this great comedic relief who then dies. And it's watching the clown die is so sad well and they kill the clowns twice in this because it's like we lose our samurai clown and we lose our farmer clown because while we yeah. have our seven samurai who each have their own distinct position with kind of the exception of like Girobe and shishiroji like they're kind yeah, of yeah. similar but besides them <laughs> um we have our three farmers and the three farmers are like the farmer who lost everything but gains his spirit by the end of the film the selfish farmer who causes everyone strife, including himself, and the comedic farmer. Those are our three farmers. Um, we have so many yeah. different kinds of characters here, but I think that's really, it's really cleverly done so that some anyone watching can identify who these people are, what their souls are, what their purpose is. Um, so there's that, which leads me into another, I love that I'm like, and this is serious. And now we bring you thongs, which we mentioned several times. And I was just like, yeah, th there's a lot of thongs in this. Um, and they're like warrior thongs. They're like sumo warrior thongs. It did just make me think about what would it have been like to wear that as like your underwear all the time? That's like basically what it's saying is like, that's just what you wore. Like being a woman? Like our man, man, woman, like just wearing well, no, that Well, I'm all saying women time. are forced, and we're not forced to. I stopped wearing thongs because Oh, oh now I see what you're saying. But like women <laughs> yeah, have to wear thongs societally. If we have panty lines, everyone's like, oh my God, you have panty lines. And you're like, I'm wearing underwear. Okay, thongs are up your butt. They are uncomfortable. I wore them for decades and then was like, why am I doing this to myself? And then I started wearing granny panties and I was like, this is the world. Why was I not doing this the whole time? So all I'm saying, and I was thinking about them on the horses with those thongs, like how uncomfortable that must have been, right? Because yeah. I think being on a horse in a thong would be uncomfortable. So I imagine it would be for anybody. I don't yeah. know. Maybe you build up your butt muscles or something. I don't know. 
Lafourne's butt looked great in a thong. Looked though. great. There, yeah, and but there were some guys that had no butts, and I felt like that too. I was like, thank you for representing my people, the people of no butt. Thank you. I see my pancake ass on the screen. I feel validated. Um, so there's that. And then um, also, okay, this is the final thing you'd mentioned earlier about Toshiro Mifune, um, how he's like kind of this stereotypical idea of what we have as a samurai now. But I feel like when he was running through the forest, he was making these animalistic grunt sounds that we have come yeah. to associate with like a cartoon samurai. And you're like, like, was that what they did as samurai? Or is this just this actor doing this crazy it's just, thing? It's just Toshiro Mifune. So like, I was kind of sad reading Kurosawa's autobiography that he didn't explicitly call out Takashi Shimura. I was like, Takashi Shimura has been throughout your, your films. He has been there the whole time. And he's incredible, and I love him, and he's so profound. I'll forgive that he didn't mention Takashi Shimura, but he did, the only actor he really spent time talking about was Toshiro Mifune, who uh. he talked about seeing his original audition, like there was just an open call for auditions at their studio, Toho, and he shows up, and he just talks about seeing him and how he hadn't seen any Japanese actors like him. And it yeah. feels to me almost like watching um, Rebel Without a Cause, James yeah. Dean, where it's just like a little over the top, bombastic, just like you don't know what's going to happen. And that's what Toshiro Mifune feels like to me. I was thinking Marlon Brando. Like that's, it's like around a similar time, right? But I was thinking it's like this unhinged, what's he going to do next? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Just like letting the moment take him. And I feel like that is what he's doing in that, where he is very just like letting that kind of wild, crazy acting just in the moment yeah. happen. Well, and it kind of did fit, like you mentioned, he does feel animalistic, like, yeah. you know, he's this untamed kind of person, right? And so when he's running through the forest making these sounds, it does sound like, some, like you mentioned, he's doing the scratching like a dog. He sounds like yeah, he's this like yeah. wild dog running loose through the forest. And you're like, this performance is crazy, like good crazy. But like, <laughs> I don't know, that's, I wrote it down too, is something to just listen for. Cause I was listening yeah. to it and I was like, you, you're panting like an animal here. Like you're yeah. grunting and making these feral sounds. Like it's clearly a very interesting performance worth watching. Uh, so now we're gonna move on to uh, the modern lens. We mentioned a lot of it, but like what doesn't hold up? Hey, having sex does not make you damaged goods. So the treatment mm -hmm. of women and sex and their value in society, again, if the samurai had armed the women, they could have fought against the original bad guy and killed him too, but they didn't even think to arm the women, just saying. Well, and that's also when you read about Kurosawa, that is like, it's very clear when reading a story, Japan was along with most of the world and the US as well was a very misogynistic, chauvinistic society back then. And in terms of like how he was talked about, he was called a sissy and a crybaby, you know, growing up and kind of made to feel ashamed for, you know, being a little bit more of an emotional child, even though, which like then when you hear that he came, became this like hardened, bombastic person, you're like, oh, it's kind of sad, you know. But he told them to share their feelings. Well, I guess the screenwriter yeah, did that. Yeah. I guess he yeah. just supported the screenwriter's vision of sharing your feelings. Well, they actually wrote it together. Kurosawa and the screen was one of the screenwriters on this as well. So yeah, there was all that where I was just like, yeah, the women aren't treated great here. And watching Shino yeah. get beaten by her father for like just having sex, you yeah. know, what has she done that's really so terrible? If anyone can yeah. explain it to me, I don't get it. 
And then I wrote the treatment of the animals and stuff on set where you're always like, ooh, this looks like yeah. they're toppling horses over and stuff. And you're like, oh, I don't know. Hopefully no horses broke the leg. Yeah. Hopefully no horses broke their legs. But there was also a human that looked like he got a concussion. There was one part where there someone There was one who fell on a horse. I yeah. saw that. That was actually, that was like clearly not faked. That was like, yeah, that dude just that was real. ate it. That was intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was concerned for people and their safety. Let's be real. Um, also, okay, so modern lens, but positive. I like that it highlights gender and working class inequality. I like that. Yeah. Um, collectivism like collectivism fighting tyranny working together to do that sharing your feelings mm. um oh honoring that sex happens and that's okay thanks wise yeah. samurai um and just like the samurais had so much wisdom the two elder ones yeah uh, just had they really had so much really deep really beautiful wisdom if you could just yeah. like follow their advice humans of the world i think we'd all probably be better they were incredible human beings for sure they were magnificent <laughs> um, so okay now we're going to move into the double feature portion of this podcast if you liked this film we've already discussed a lot of them but mine were like check out Rashomon which also stars Toshiro Mifune uh, Throne of Blood which is basically Macbeth but set mm -hmm. to historical Japan mm -hmm. um, The Hidden Fortress we had mentioned earlier I saw both of those for the first time with Liam um, and Liam had mentioned The Hidden Fortress is the one that George Lucas may have copied off of for Star Wars. Um, I would also say check out Tokyo Story because it was released mm. the year before this. And to me, that's another example of what uh, Japanese cinema was doing at this time. Not that I'm like an expert on Japanese cinema as we have already proven throughout this episode, but I do feel <laughs> like that's a very subtle piece of filmmaking um, that's like around this time. It would be a contemporary of um, Kurosawa. So yeah, and Ozu is the other giant of Japanese cinema. So he is the director and he is kind of the anti-Kurosawa in terms of how big and intense and epic Kurosawa is. That is, Ozu is quiet, uh, like contained. And yeah, he's beautiful. I love I love Ozu. I, yeah, so that, that's great. And then for American films, I would say like The Magnificent Seven was based on this film, made in 1960. Um, it's like a Western version of this, Gunslingers. It's got Yul Brynner, Steve McQueen. Um, I think Ocean's Eleven, both versions would be great to watch with this. <laughs> um, I love the Steven Soderbergh one. I think it's really, really awesome. Um, but yeah, that's a great, com you mentioned earlier, the tropes of like recruiting and assembling the gang, like yeah. Ocean's Eleven's got that. So there's that. I feel like the Dirty Dozen is also probably yes, another one of these, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> Ragtag group of guys have to work together to survive. Only a few of them do. It's kind of like a renegade mission. And then I also feel like um, The Adventures of Robin Hood, the Errol Flynn 1938 film would be fun to watch with this because to me, those are yeah. both kind of epic adventure films and are both kind of like the start of their own uh, way of creating this genre and moving the genre forward in different ways. And like what they inspired. What is so much more modern about this film versus Robin Hood? And I love Robin Hood. I grew up watching Robin Hood. I love that movie. I love Errol Flynn. But the difference here is the complexity in the leads in terms of like nowadays having characters who are flawed and need to overcome their flaws and have their own stories. There is zero of that in Robin Hood. It is like the heroes are great people. Oh, and there's a villain and that's it. And it's like, that's the entire movie. And it's great. I love Robin Hood. It's delightful. But that's what makes this film feel so grounded, you know, and feel so real and modern. 
the fights are not choreographed in this in a way that we think of fights now in terms of like how they're shot or how they're choreographed in terms of like these kind of epic beautiful dances it actually feels a lot more real the way they actually shot their fights aside from the occasional like classic samurai trope of like they pass each other and then they stand there and then one man falls down which is a samurai trope but a freaking love and is amazing i'm there for it all day but honestly most of these fights are super real like they are like with just like the bandits getting stabbed by spears by the peasants by the farmers and it's not like it's not it's not jedi sword fights most of the time which is that to me is like the element that's kind of missing like the matrix element the like the the you know the jedi element of like the beautiful dance of the fights that are really over the top and unrealistic. This feels very real. The deaths here all feel real. So you had mentioned earlier, I was gonna ask if you had any double features, but I think you mentioned yours. Seppuku or Harikuri. I apologize, I was saying the really poor pronunciation of this word, the American, you know, Harry Carry, what we call, but it's actually Harukuri. Um, but actually the original title was Seppuku um, and that, that to me is the film I would check out after this. Like it is, it's fun too because of its link to Seven Samurai in terms of how it's kind of, the reason it came to be was because the screenwriter was originally trying to make a movie about a samurai's life, a day in a life who had to commit seppuku. And so he then, all the kind of investigation he did around that turned into this film seppuku or harikuri um and that that to me is my my big one also see high and low that's a very modern different kurosawa film watching how he makes that thrilling so that one is based around a black male that's committed to shiromafune's in it as is as is uh a bunch of the same actors you've seen in this. There, are, There's a bunch of them. Kurosawa uses so many of the same people. But in that one, it's about blackmail and then the police tracking down the man who committed the blackmail. It's got this beautiful way of making like the mundane police investigation utterly thrilling. So that is like a very different film, a much more modern, but also very Japanese and also utterly compelling. Uh, and I think a great kind of companion piece to, if you want to see Kurosawa, not just as, you know, the samurai filmmaker, but also how he can tell also very modern, like thriller. It's, it's great. All right. Well, Liam, thank you so much for being on the show. This was, it was lovely to talk to you about Seven Samurai and I loved it. Thank you for giving me an excuse to do all this reading up. I had a really great time, you know, doing, doing investigation on Kurosawa. Well, everyone, we'll see you next time on Talk Classic to Me. You have been listening to Talk Classic to Me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me. My guest this week was Liam White. They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe and maybe even find us on anchor.fm to become a contributing member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at TalkClassicToMe for some awesome content and to find out what's coming up next. Thanks for listening.